Amen. Good morning, church. It's been a wonderful time of worship together, eh? Just sensing the Lord's presence. And I trust that you've been blessed. Those of you watching at home, I trust you've been worshiping with us as well, praising the Lord, and that you are ready for this morning's message. It is the final part of our study in Colossians. Before we jump into the study, today it's our last chapter. It's called Colossal Calling. We have a number of colossal things we've been studying, but today it's Colossal Calling. And we're going to take a brief look back at what we've learned, and then we're going to wrap up today. In chapter 1, we learned that Christ Jesus is presented to us as a colossal savior. That's chapter one, all right? We are told that Jesus is the creator of everything, visible and invisible. So whatever, whether you can see it or not, Jesus created it. Everything in this universe was created by Jesus Christ. Then we are told that this magnificent creator, he sees how lost we were. He takes on human form, and pays the price for our sin of the whole world, canceling all sin debt that was held against us. We read in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, that once you, that's you and I, we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you, that's you and I, by Christ's physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You are free from accusation if you are in Christ. There is nothing held against us. And then he says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So you need to continue holding on to our hope, holding on to the gospel, to the good news that Jesus died and paid the full price for our sins. We need to continue believing in him. And if we will do this, hallelujah, then we are secure in Christ. That is a colossal savior. And that is a colossal salvation as well. However, we see that it's still up to us to receive it and to continue in the faith. Amen. It's still your decision. Jesus did everything and now he invites us to accept his gift of salvation. We still have to accept it. And my prayer is that everyone here, everyone watching has received this gift and will continue in the faith until the end. Amen. In chapter 2, we encountered a colossal authority. Colossal authority. In Colossae as it is today, so many people were bound by religious or philosophical traditions. Rituals, believing that by doing those things, they would please the gods or even please the living God. But Paul makes it clear that Jesus, who created both the visible and the invisible realm, is the ultimate authority in the universe. And in Jesus, 
is all knowledge and all wisdom. In whom? In Jesus. Not in some ritual, in some weird group or cult or anything like that. It's in Jesus. You don't need angels, nor special secret societies, nor deep religious observances. You don't need rules in keeping days or special diets. You need Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in him. Period. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It's in Christ, not by all these other things that religions and rituals want you to do. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness because he is the head of every power and authority. If he is the head, he is the ultimate authority. He has colossal authority. And if you are in him, that's all you need. Amen. <laughs> and then last week in chapter 3, we considered a colossal challenge. It got a bit personal last week, as it is going to get this week. You see, just because Christ is a colossal savior, and that's colossal authority, and we don't need religious rules and rituals, it does not mean <laughs> that we can live anywhere we please, not at all. If we have been saved from the system and sin of this world, then there are things that we must put off of our lives and things that we must put on. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God must be foremost in our minds. That must be the focus of our lives. As we do life here on a day-to-day -day basis, we are still thinking and connected to the fact that we don't really belong here. We belong to the kingdom of God, to the heavenly realm. Amen? And so, our our attitudes, our morals, our thinking, our choosing must reflect Christ, his principles, and reflect his character. Amongst other things, we are told in, in verse 5 of chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You see, when you come to Christ, when you receive Christ, you continue living in the same body. You still have the fleshly nature inside of you, which tends to pull you to do wrong things. And so it says, we must put to death these things. What is it? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, when you read this list and the other things that Paul mentions in that chapter, you see that's what the world lives for and lives by. And we are told, no, you don't do that. You put off those things. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, I want you to see yourself as that. You're not just anybody. You are God's chosen people. Amen? That's who we are. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Put on some stuff. What? Compassion. Kindness, humility, 
gentleness, and patience. And then as we look at all that we are supposed to put off and, and put on, we quickly realize it is a colossal challenge. It doesn't come naturally, does it? <clears throat> the other stuff, the fleshly stuff, man, it is there all the time, ready to take off. But that's why you have to put on some effort. You have to make a choice. You have to live with that consciousness that you are kingdom people. We are heavenly people, kingdom people. Amen? And so there are some choices that we have to make here. We live in a world which, in which it is increasingly more difficult to live a Christian life. Challenges, temptations, and irritations surround us almost constantly. And it is easy to lose it and deal with matters the world's way. But if our mind remains in Christ and we walk in fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit, then progressively, not instantly, progressively, amen, we can learn to overcome the ways of the world and practice the ways of Christ, amen? And that brings us to chapter 4, today's final chapter. As I mentioned last week, verse 1 of chapter 4 should really have been the last verse of chapter 3 because it's still dealing with the subject of chapter 3. But from verse 2 to 18, that is basic chapter 4, and that's what we're going to look at today. And chapter 4 can be divided basically in two, in two sections. Verses 2 to 6 contain some further instructions from Paul, and that's got to do with the colossal calling which we're going to talk about today. And then the rest of the chapter, 7 to 18, has a lot of personal greetings, amen? And uh, in verses 2 to 6, we're going to be dealing with that just now. Uh, you know, up till now, he's been dealing with our life individually. Chapter 3, what happens to us? individually and in our homes. But in chapter 4, is going to deal with our public, our testimony to the world. And we'll, we'll do that just now. We are first going to deal with verses 7 to 18, which are the, the personal greetings. It's interesting that from verse 11 to 17, 11 verses, but there you find 11 names. Okay? Um, these were people that the church in Colossae knew or were being introduced to. Now, it's amazing that they didn't have, you know, social media nor aeroplanes to fly around or anything. They either went by boat, which took months to get from, you know, Middle East to Italy, or they went by foot from city to city. Mostly, they traveled by foot, and yet these guys stayed connected. They knew each other. They knew people's individual names. And Paul spends a good deal of time here sending greetings and encouraging people. You see, guys, church is relational. You cannot do Christianity on your own. We cannot do it alone. We must do it together. We cannot live as followers of Christ alone, isolated. Now, we need to understand <laughs> that church is made up of imperfect people. Amen? I mean, you here, right? <laughs> All right? You're watching too. You know how imperfect you are. And, and so am I. And therefore, we need to understand that it's a gathering of imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. 
And so there's bound to be some interesting things happening in between us when we come together. And, and when, we, when we read these names, they all sound like lovely brothers, you know, wonderful people serving the Lord, blah, blah. But wait a minute. Tychicus, which is the guy that brought the letter physically all the way from Rome to Colossae, he was the guy that brought it, but he came along with a man called Onesimus. Onesimus. Do you know who Onesimus was? He was a slave. He was a runaway slave. He was a slave of a guy in Colossae, a guy called Philemon. In South Africa, call it Philemon. <laughs> All right? Philemon. He was Philemon's slave. This guy stole from Philemon and took off. All right? Somehow, he crossed paths with Paul and he came to know Christ. Became a believer. Became a worker with Paul. And now, when Paul writes this letter to Colossae, he also wrote a personal letter to Philemon. It's in your Bible. It's the book of Philemon. Very, very short book. It's a personal letter to Philemon telling Philemon that he came across Onesimus. Onesimus is now serving the Lord. He's a brother in Christ and he's sending him back to Philemon. Please reconcile with him. Accept him as a fellow brother in the Lord. Ouch. How would that sound like to you? Huh? Your, your domestic steals from you. And then one day he rocks up to your door with a letter from Pastor the Silver. Please receive them back. Forgive them. They're serving Christ now. What does it take, guys? It's going to take some forgiveness, some compassion, amen, some kindness, some humility. What I'm saying, guys, for us to live as a church, we need to put on some stuff. We need to understand that none of us are perfect, and sometimes we're going to trample on each other's toes. But we need to learn to forgive and to be forgiven. We need to learn to ask for forgiveness when we realize that we have tramped on somebody's toe. We need to put off pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, the stuff that we are made of because we remain with a sinful nature in us. Uh, but when we are in Christ and Christ in us, that thing has to be fought against. And we are the ones that do it. Oh, I wish that the day I was filled with the Holy Spirit, my carnal nature, my fleshly nature ceased to exist. But it didn't. You know, some days I feel closer to God than others. But I still have to deal with my fleshness. You see, the book of Colossians has a strong message of reconciliation between man and God. The whole colossal savior and colossal salvation. It's a wonderful, strong message of reconciliation. That little book of Philemon has a powerful message of reconciliation between man and man. And Paul wrote these two books very, very, you know, about the same time, he wrote the letter of Ephesians about the same time as well. And then Tychicus, he came all the way from Rome, bringing the letter of, to, to, of Ephesians, which was actually a general letter to be written in the churches, brought the letter to Philemon, and brought the letter to Colossae, which we are studying now. In these verses, you also find some familiar names, like Barnabas, Mark, Luke, 
The people of Colossae either knew them personally or were being introduced to them because they were going to come by there and minister to the church of Colossae. And it's not just names of men. There is a lady there as well, Nympha, who led a church group in her house. You must keep in mind that in the first century, they didn't gather in churches like this. They didn't exist churches like this. That came much later. The first century church gathered in homes, in houses, or in open spaces. And so in Colossae, they seem to have gathered in different homes. The church gathered in homes. And Nympha was one of the church leaders there. She was the leader in the church, and she gathered a group in her house. In verse 17, Paul tells a brother named Archippus to complete the ministry he received from the Lord. Listen, guys, sometimes you and I, need a bit of encouragement to continue doing what we are doing for the Lord. Whether you're doing something here in church, in the, in the, in the church uh, situation, whether you're doing something privately, whether you're doing something with your money, with your business, with your time for the Lord, now and then we hit a little plateau and we wonder, should I be doing this? Uh, I, I'm getting tired of this. I wonder if this thing that I'm doing for God is meaning anything to anybody. We get discouraged. And from time to time, we need someone to just come alongside us and say, Hey, brother, come on, sister. Don't give up. Keep on doing what you're doing. It counts for the Lord. And that's what Paul does for this guy. It seems Archippus, whatever he was doing there in the church in Colossae, he seemed to be losing a bit of momentum. And Paul kind of says, Hey, come on, but continue. Complete what you have been called to do. And that's an encouragement to us. And I'm encouraging you today, church, every one of you. Complete what you're doing for the Lord. Whatever you're doing, continue doing. Don't give up. Not now, guys. This is not a good time to give up. Let's continue serving the Lord. Whatever it is that you're doing, let's continue serving the Lord. Let's not give up on our service to Him. Amen? As I said before, they had no social media in the first century church, yet somehow they stayed in touch with each other. In verse 16, Paul says, after this letter has been read to you, talking about the letter to Colossae, after this has been read to you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. There is no epistle to the Laodiceans in your Bible, right, in the New Testament. And what, what we believe, what scholars believe, is that that letter to Laodicea is actually Ephesians. Because Ephesians wasn't meant to be just for the city of Ephesians. It was meant to be a circular letter to go around. And since Tychicus brought it with him, you would have dropped it in in Ephesus, then taken to Laodicea, and then they wanted to come to Colossae as well. Okay? So there isn't a missing book. We believe it is the book of Ephesians. In that um, last verse of the chapter, Paul writes it himself. Now, Today we communicate via text, email, pictures, whatever, you know, WhatsApp. But isn't it nice sometimes to receive a handwritten note from somebody that you know, somebody that you love? Actually, handwritten. It's so personal. Dear so-and-so, thinking of you, you know, and then the name. And it's, it's a personal thing. The guy or the girl took time to find paper, find a pen, actually write it, thinking of you. It wasn't just a, you know, it was a personal thing. And Paul kind of 
wants the guys to know because he was probably dictating this and somebody was writing for him. And, and then the last verse, he writes it himself. The guys to see, this is his handwriting. Also to authenticate, that this is me writing. That's somebody pretending to be Paul. This is me here, you know. And he does that. So that is the balance of the chapter. I want us to get back to the core of this chapter, which is verses 2 to 6. As I said before, from verses 2 to 6, Paul continues his instruction, instructions to the church of Colossae. Having dealt with how to live, as a Christian life individually and in families, Paul now issues a colossal calling to the church at Colossae. And by extension, he extends this colossal, colossal call to us today. This calling is for us, you and I, to take the message, the gospel, to the world. That's it, okay? Church, Take the gospel to the world. Go. Bye-bye. Simple. Or not. Now, this calling is not new, right? Jesus himself gave us the great commission or great calling. Now, of course, colossal means large or great. So what Jesus said could be called a colossal commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. <laughs> Wow. Now, Paul here repeats this commission, and he gives us some practical advice. If you are going to fulfill this colossal calling, you and I need to do three things. Here we go. Number one, if you are going to take the message to the world, you need to pray. Pray. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. If you don't pray, nobody's going to pray for you. So devote yourself to pray. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Remember last week I mentioned how often in this book, thankfulness comes up and yet it comes again. When you pray, pray but be thankful and pray for us too, he says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is in prison and yet he's asking them to pray for him that the message might go out. Well, you read elsewhere in the New Testament that while Paul was in chains, all the guards came to know about Jesus and many of them got born again. The message didn't stop. Paul might have been stuck in a room, but the people coming past were getting the message and were taking the message out. Plus, he's writing letters and getting the message out. So he's saying, guys, pray for me. For me. Pray for us that the message, we may proclaim the message of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And that's a good prayer for you and I as well. Let's pray for ourselves and pray for each other. That as we proclaim the gospel, we may do it clearly. Not in a complicated fashion. Not in a confusing way. If you want to follow Christ, you must do this, you must go that, blah, 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 blah. blah. No, just, just let's learn to do it in a complete, clear, simple way. So he says, pray. Pray. Easy to pray, right? Pray is easy, right? Huh? Well, Imagine that you were one of the 12 disciples, okay? And then one day, you, you've been with Jesus for three years, and then one day Jesus calls you and a couple of your 
fellow disciples to come and pray with you, with, with him. You've been with Jesus. You've, you've seen miracles. You've seen food multiplication. You've seen healings. You've seen the man walking on the water. <laughs> okay? Amazing stuff. And one day he calls you and a couple of others says, come, come with me. I'm going to go and pray. And he goes to a garden and he says, guys, just, just sit here and pray with me. I'm going to pray right there. Pray with me, please. You say, sure, no problem. And you sit down or you kneel down and you start praying. About an hour later, Jesus wakes you up. And you realize that you've been sleeping for the past hour when you thought you were praying. So it's easy to pray, right? And you know, every time you want to take some serious time to pray, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Distractions. Things come to your mind that you should have done yesterday and you want to run off. It is hard work to pray, people. And that's why it says, devote yourselves to prayer. You've got to make time for prayer. You've got to find ways of praying. You've got to find ways of connecting with God and stay connected with God. If we are to take the message to the world, you need to pray. Amen? Therefore, we need to put effort into praying. We need to be thankful as we pray. What are you thankful for today? It is easy to look back at this past week and name all the things that went wrong. <clears throat> but as you sit here, what are you thankful for? The first thing I'm thankful for is that I am here. <laughs> I made it another week. And God has been good to me. And you can stop and you can start thinking of the things that you are thankful for and pray in a thankful way. Stop, think, pray with gratitude. We need to pray that we can live as kingdom people. After instructing the church to, to be heaven, heavenly minded, Paul tells them to pray. Because if I am going to live a chapter three kind of life, I cannot do it without prayer. It is too hard to put off those things and to put on those things all by myself. I need Holy Spirit. I need God. I need every bit of help I can get. And I need to pray, God, help me to live a chapter three kind of life. Hmm? We need to be watchful in prayer. We need to be aware that Christ is returning. So we need to be aware of what's going around us. And you are living in days where prophecies are being fulfilled before our very eyes. What is it got to do with Israel? What is it got to do with things happening in nature? What is it got to do with things happening in politics or with this whole pandemic? Man, there's so much going on in the world today. Which points to the soon return of Christ. And we need to be watchful as we are doing this. Amen? We need to be watchful. Be alert. We need to pray for wisdom to stay firm in the ways of the Lord. We need to pray that there will be opportunities to spread the gospel. Ask the Lord to open doors of opportunity for you to communicate in your daily life, to share the gospel, 
to help somebody, to remove obstacles. So many people, they, they cannot know about Jesus, but they've got so many obstacles, disappointments, past church issues, questions in their minds. We could be instrumental in removing some of those obstacles and helping people get closer to Jesus. Pray for wisdom and for opportunities. Pray for church leaders to have an open door for ministry. Paul asked prayer for himself. And today, we pray for those engaged in the offices of ministry, missionaries, pastors, evangelists, and so on. Pray for those that you know. Pray for me, please. I need prayer. And let's keep pray praying that doors of ministry will open. Amen? So, you need to pray. Number two, if you're going to take the message to the world, you need to Watch how you act, because everybody is watching you. You don't think so. Ah, it's just me. I'm me. You know, I'm. And especially today, where everybody has this this thing. It's my life. I do me. You do you. I do me. Blah blah blah. And we tend to live a very careless kind of life. But as followers of Christ, we cannot live carelessly. Apostle says. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders mean those who are not believers in Christ yet. Huh? Make the most of every opportunity. We need to be alert and making the most of every opportunity to share the gospel with those that are not Christians yet. Following the Lord. Live with wisdom in the world, he says. Living with wisdom means knowing how to live in a way that is consistent with who we are in Christ. As those who are in Christ, we must live in a way that reflects the salvation that we have experienced. Others are watching our lives, and it should be a testimony to the change the gospel makes in us. I have been surprised by people coming to me and telling me how they've been watching me or watching myself and my wife and then giving feedback on what they have seen. And I realized that over the past two, three years, whatever, whenever that thing happens, without realizing it, my wife and I were communicating something to these observers about the gospel of Jesus, about our faith, and about our relationship. Had I been harsh with my wife, had I been arguing with her publicly, had I been swearing and behaving in a non-Christ-like way, what kind of testimony would that have been? Huh? And I find myself, you know, when I do, I do school assemblies and so forth, I can't, I can't remember all the faces. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a shopping mall, minding my own business, and here comes this voice, Hello, Pastor the Silver. All right, who are you now? You know, oh, I'm from such and such a school. <laughs> really? What if I had been behaving badly when this person was walking behind me? Huh? You never know, people. You never know. And so he instructs us, man, watch how you act. 
Live with wisdom in the world. Others are watching and our lives should be a testimony to the change the gospel makes in us. Live with purpose in the world. And Paul provides this important reminder. Time is limited. Amen. Make most of every opportunity. In the book of James, it says that time flies by like a vapor. Time is limited. You don't know how much time you've got to make an impact in this world. You don't know when Jesus is coming. He could come tomorrow. And so we need to be ready and we need to live with purpose. Amen. And as we seek to be faithful with the gospel, we must be good stewards of our time and opportunities that we may have. We should also be creative in finding time and opportunities for the gospel. Use whatever opportunity you can to get the message of the gospel across. Amen? It doesn't mean you've got to walk around with the biggest Bible you can find in your house, okay? And, 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 and start bashing people with your Bible. No. Just be normal, okay? It's, it's a natural way. When Jesus said, go into the world, what he actually said is, go into the world, as, and as you are going, share the gospel. That means do life. Go to work, go to school, go to gym, you know, enjoy, have good times. And as you are doing, share the gospel. I've had wonderful time of sharing the gospel in parties. When I was still in secular employment, we used to have so-called Coke afternoons, all right, which was everything except Coke. But I had my Coke just for the fun of it anyway. But I often, I found my colleagues, after two or three beers, they became very verbose. And you see, I didn't know this, but they were watching me. And after two or three beers, they'd come to me and start talking to me. And I had the opportunity of counseling a few of them in parties, making the most of every opportunity. You can do it too. We can all be alert. And in the shop, shopping, taking your car, whatever it is to the service, you can always share the gospel. So, ah. Live with purpose and watch how you act. Number three, final one. If you're going to take the message to the world, watch how you speak. Amen? Verse six. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Mm. Wow. While we should pray for opportunities for the gospel, and we should live in a way that proclaims the gospel, we must always remember that eventually the gospel must be spoken. It must be proclaimed. Sometime or other, you need to talk about the gospel. Amen? And Paul gives us here two admonitions about the way we speak the gospel and the way we carry ourselves when we speak. Number one, <clears throat> speak with grace. Listen. The gospel is a serious message. The gospel is also very often an offensive message. Huh? I mean, if I come to somebody and say, hey, you need Jesus. You are a sinner. You are far from God. That can be offensive, eh? These days especially, it can be taken as judgment. Oh, who do you think you are, Valdir? Uh, who do you think you can judge me? Uh, how can you tell who I am? The gospel is offensive. The gospel is divisive. Because Jesus said, you are either in or you are out. He says, I am the truth, the way, 
the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's a very exclusive message. And for someone who's not a follower of Christ, it can be very offensive. Somebody believes in another religion, another, another system, another God, or no God at all. And so, folks, we need to speak with grace. We must never water down the gospel, but we should share it with kindness and grace. We need to speak the truth in love. I remember back in my teen years, there were, there were car stickers, you know, and some of them were very much in your face. Dry of bry. Huh? Turn or burn. Okay, the message got across, but not very gracious, is it? You know, and that was more a message for backslidden Christians, not for non-believers. We need to be careful how we present the message. Amen? And we need to speak with readiness. As those who have experienced redemption ourselves, we should always be prepared to tell others about the salvation that we have found. But do it in humility, because listen, if it wasn't for Jesus' love for me, I would not be saved. I can't come here all arrogant. Hey, I, I, I'm a believer. I'm going to heaven. And you? <laughs> As if I did anything to get my salvation. I did nothing. Jesus did everything. All I could do is humbly say thank you, sir, and receive it. And now, out of gratitude, I serve him, and I try to share this message with others who might be needing it. As someone said, being a Christian is like a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, the bread of life. Huh? Come on. So we need to speak with grace and with readiness. And of course, our whole life should reflect that in our, our daily speech. You know, it is interesting that these days there are many people who do not follow the Lord and they live any way they want to live. But if they find out that you are a believer, they expect you to live as a believer. And they will tell you when you're doing something wrong. <laughs> it's amazing. Huh? You're a Christian, but you talk like that. You're a Christian, but you do this. Ah, come on. Isn't it amazing? It seems like these guys, they, they know the rules better than I do, you know. <laughs> but the other problem we have as Christians is that as believers, we expect every other believer to behave like a believer when sometimes I don't behave like a believer. And when, when you as a believer don't behave as a believer that I think you should behave like, I get offended with you. Meantime, I don't behave as a believer all the time. Oh, guys, we need to watch out for that. Because sometimes you're criticizing our brothers and sisters and we're getting offended with our brothers and sisters. Meantime, we are also missing the mark. Because we all miss the mark because we're still sinners. We all miss it sometimes. So what do we need to do? Put on humility, put on patience, forgive, etc., etc. You see why this is such a colossal thing? <laughs> And why we need Jesus. Man, there's no way we can do church, we can do Christianity in our own strength. Forget it. We need the Lord. And I hope you guys are realizing this as we're going through this book. 
It is a colossal calling that we have. Colossal means great. Jesus gave us a great commission, a colossal commission, a colossal calling. But he also gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us as we go ahead in this world. Amen. It will take a decision from our part to respond to this calling. It takes a decision from you and from me to say, yes, I will live a chapter 3 kind of life. Yes, I will take up this calling and I will use every opportunity to share the love of God with others. It takes up that decision. Amen. As we close this series and have communion now, there are a couple of things I want us to consider. I'd like the cups to be distributed now. Remain in your seat. It will be taken to you now while I continue speaking. And you're going to have communion just now. But as we close this series, let us consider some things. Consider the following. Ask yourself, do I truly trust Jesus as God, as the Creator, as my only and sufficient Savior. That's an important question. I'm going to say it again. I want you to think about it. Do I trust Jesus as God, as the Creator, as my only and sufficient Savior? It's an important question because too many people today they believe in Jesus, but they doubt that he is actually God. Some believe that Jesus is God, but is he the creator? Was the world created? You see what I'm saying? We need to believe in the full message. Others believe in Jesus and. I believe in Jesus and the works that I do. I believe in Jesus and these rituals. I believe in Jesus and all these saints. I believe in Jesus and the help of my ancestors. I believe in Jesus and all the good works I do. I believe in Jesus and those specific rituals. I believe in Jesus and holding on to these dietary restrictions. Otherwise, I lose my salvation. Paul is very clear in this letter to Colossae. Jesus is everything. In him, you've got full salvation. So my question again, do I truly trust Jesus as God, as the creator, as my only and sufficient savior? Yes, something else. Am I living with an awareness that heaven is my home and not this world and its attractions? Because if I live for this world and its attractions, I'll have no time for God, no time for prayer, no time for church, no time for Bible, no time for anything related to spiritual life in Christianity. And, in, and if you want an answer to this particular question, just look back at this past week. Look at your agenda. What occupied your agenda? Last week, last two weeks, last month. Am I living with an awareness that heaven is my home and not this world 
and its attractions. Last one. Is my life reflecting that I am a follower of Jesus? And am I helping those around me to get closer to Jesus? Is my life reflecting that I am a follower of Jesus? And am I helping those around me to get closer to Jesus? You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. No, it is okay to make mistakes. But what you do is you admit it. You, you live an open life. I am a believer. And when, when you do something stupid, you say, oh, that shouldn't have done that. You ask God's forgiveness. If you hurt somebody, you ask them to forgive you. In other words, you live out what you believe in. And you see, I'm asking this because many Christians think that the Great Commission or the colossal calling is only for the preachers. They must go and preach the gospel. No, 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 no. It's for all of us. As you go about your life, at school, at work, at gym, whatever, reflect and help others to find Jesus. Am I, is my life reflecting that I am a follower of Jesus? And am I helping those around me to get closer to Jesus? And as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ now in communion, may we also remember Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, that says the following, For you died. He's talking to you now. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's our present. You died when you gave a life to Christ. Now your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, then also you will appear with him in glory. Are you ready for that? Let us stand, please. And get your bread ready. Pull you off the top flap for those who don't know. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is life to us, Lord. But your word is also challenging to us. Calling us to commit ourselves to you, Lord. And as we remember now, Lord Jesus, your broken body, your crucifixion, your death, burial, and resurrection. As we hold this bread in our hands, we remember your sacrifice and the fact that you laid down your life for us. Today we ask you, Lord, help us to lay down our flesh, our worldly desires, Lord, for you. Help us to live a Colossians chapter 3 kind of life, putting off the things of the flesh, putting off the things of this world, Lord, and putting on the goodness that comes from you, Lord God, the things that please you and that reflect who you are. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are not perfect. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are being changed. But, Lord, we realize that you are merely helping us to become who we are in you, my God. And so we thank you for this bread now, Lord. Thank you that because 
of your death, because of your broken body, we now who are many, imperfect as we are, Lord, can be one. One church, one body, Father, connected together right now, whether in person or online, we are together, Lord. And we thank you for this marvelous blessing and grace. Amen and amen. Take and eat and be blessed as you do. Hold your cup as we pray. We remember, Lord Jesus, the blood that you shed for us. And as we've learned in this series, Lord, through your death, through the death of your body, through the blood that you poured forth on that cross, you paid the full price of all our sins, Lord. So that today, right now, as we stand before you, there is nothing held against us. <laughs> and we can be in Jesus. Thank you so much for this great salvation, Lord. And by the help of your Holy Spirit, by your presence in us, we will live this life, Lord, for you until we see you face to face until you are revealed and we are revealed with you, Lord. Amen. Be blessed as you drink of the cup of blessing. Praise God. Praise God. As you close, just remember this. Sometimes we think that, ah, oh, in this Christian life, God is, is changing me from this to that. Actually, what God is trying to do is to bring you back to who you are. He's trying to take all the nonsense out of you to bring you back to who you are, who he made you to be. Let's embrace the process and allow the Lord to change or to restore us to whom he made us. Amen. Father. I pray a blessing over your people, Lord God. As we've been following this series, God, as we've been learning about your goodness, your colossal salvation, that colossal Savior that you are, your colossal authority, Lord God. As we've encountered this colossal challenge and today a colossal calling, <laughs> we thank you, Lord, that we have a colossal God, a colossal Holy Spirit. We are not alone, Lord, and with your help, we can live this life. I pray your blessing upon everyone, every home represented here, every home, every individual watching online or listening to this message, Lord. Help us to live this life for your glory until your return. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. See you next week again. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy your week. Amen.